Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. I want to leave you with something. If this is my only time to preach at Lighthouse Baptist Church, I want to leave an impact, right? That's the goal. And so I want to help you be a better lighthouse to your community. If that's your name, that's what we should be, right, at Lighthouse. So this morning, I want to preach a message that I've called Real Purposeful Surrender. Real Purposeful Surrender. I want you to go to Romans chapter 12 this morning. Romans chapter 12, a very familiar passage. And um, if you're thinking Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, you're right. But as I warned you in Sunday school this morning, I tend to look at a lot of verses, and hopefully you're okay with that. So be prepared, because if you're not, we're going to do it anyway, okay? So Romans chapter 12, and we'll look at verses 1 and 2. How many of you have memorized, especially uh, verse number 1? Anybody ever memorized that? Yeah, it's a great verse, but I think sometimes we need to kind of look back to understand why that verse is there. So we're going to kind of talk about that this morning in a message, Real Purposeful Surrender. So hopefully you're there by now, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you need to find out why that therefore is therefore. Okay, it's a pretty easy way to think about it. So you see a therefore, guess what you need to do? You need to look back, okay? And so for us to understand why the apostle says this in in Romans chapter 12, we need to go back to Romans chapter 11. The chapters in your Bible were given so that you could easily find it. Aren't you glad that you don't have like this big scroll that you've got to kind of like roll out and you've got to be like, wait a minute, I'm not there yet, and you've got to kind of do this? Aren't you glad for chapters, okay? So, but sometimes chapters, because of how they broke it up, it kind of helps to look back a little bit before the chapter, okay, to understand what's going on. So first in this morning, real purposeful surrender, why should I surrender, right? So if God's going to say this, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, we need to understand that there is a reason why. Aren't you glad that scripture doesn't just tell you to do something as crazy as this, that you present your body a living sacrifice, and it doesn't tell you why? So let's look at why should I surrender. Go back to Romans chapter 11, verse number 33. Romans 11, verse number 33. Now again, I apologize. We're going to be in a lot of other passages, okay? So I want you to see in Scripture how this thought develops throughout Scripture, okay? So why should I surrender? Romans 11, verse number 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments, and his ways past finding out. I love that verse. Anybody else? That's a really good verse, isn't it? So why should I surrender? The first reason is God's wisdom and knowledge. Aren't you glad that you don't serve a God who is just like you? Where he is limited by time, he is limited in knowledge, he is limited in wisdom. I'm so glad that I don't serve a God like that. 
that even when my daughter was diagnosed with autism, it wasn't something that it's like, what on earth? No, God already knew. God already had a plan. And I want us to look at this, okay? So God's wisdom, first of all. I want you to think of wisdom, his understanding, okay? God understands. So Psalm 147, verse number 5. So keep your finger in Romans 11. We're coming back. But Psalm 147, verse number 5. Again, Scripture is not isolated. When God inspired men to write the text that we have, he didn't isolate it. He teaches that truth throughout Scripture. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? That is a great thing. And I'm glad that there's different angles in how God reveals his truth in different times. But Psalm 147, verse number 5. Great is our Lord and of great power. I think you could preach an entire message on just that, but we're not, okay? Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Do you realize what that means? God understands your pain and the circumstance you're in. One of my, I've got a lot of favorite passages. Pastor Prime, you there too? Like, I've got like a lot of favorite passages. Hebrews chapter 4 is one of those. Where he talks about, for we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And then it says, let us therefore, again, you see that therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus was touched with the things that, you, that you're touched with. He had physical pain. He went through physical loss. He was physically tempted. He went through things that you're going through. God, when it says God's understanding is infinite, God understands your pain. He understands your circumstances. And I don't know about you, but this topic of surrender, this topic of laying down your life, a living sacrifice, is a scary one, right? But God understands you. And I think I would say this, he understands you better than you understand you. Sometimes we're like, well, God, you really want me to do what? No, God understands you better than you understand you, and he knows what you can really do, okay? So God understands our pain and our circumstances. Go back to Romans chapter 11, verse number 33. Hopefully you took my note and you kept your finger there, because we're going to do this a lot. Romans eleven thirty-three. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I want to make this point. God's understanding, his wisdom, is way past yours. Aren't you glad for that? New York, I said this in Sunday school, is a tough place. It's not easy. South Bend's not easy. Clyde, Ohio is not easy, even though it's a town of 7,000, not a lot more. It's not easy. It's never easy. God never promised a life of ease, but God is beyond your understanding. Sometimes we pray and we say, God, I want you to work this way, and God works completely the opposite. Have you ever seen that before? You pray for healing, and God doesn't heal, and he takes them home, and you're like, God, what are you doing? His understanding is past yours. He thinks of things from a different perspective. All we see is this, and he's looking over all of it. Sometimes we pray for healing, and God says, yeah, I'll heal them more perfectly than you can understand right? God understands and his understanding is past yours. 
Go to Job, Job 28, Job 28. <laughs> this is a great one. So when we talk about God's wisdom and knowledge, <laughs> God's wisdom concerning even the weather. I was in the hotel room last night, you know, looking over the sermon. Probably should have looked over my Sunday school one because I missed a verse, but that's fine. Um, looking over my sermon, and I was looking at illustrations of different times that meteorologists were completely wrong. Right? Have you ever heard that? You know, you've done that before? You know, last week, they're like, you know, I heard, I saw Pastor Prime, you know, Sunday morning or Sunday night, I can't remember which one, and he's like, yeah, I don't know if we're going to have a Wednesday night service because of the weather, and then it kind of like skirted around you and hit other people, right? Weather people are notoriously wrong. They say it's going to be 80 degrees and it's negative five. I don't know if that's for you, but that's how it is in Ohio. But God understands even the weather. Look at this. This is really cool, and I know this is kind of a humorous part, but it's, it's really cool. So Job 28, verses 23 through 27. So, of course, here in Job, Job at the beginning, of course, all the trials he went through, Job asked, Job asked God, why did you do this? And then God goes on this big dissertation about saying, hey, Job, where were you when I did this? And where were you when I did this? And the answer for Job is, uh, you know, basically, because he can't answer it. So in Job 28, verses 23 through 27, we see this. God understandeth the way thereof, and he knoweth the place thereof. For he looketh to the ends of the earth, and seeth under the whole heaven, to make the weight of the winds, and weigheth the waters by measure, when he had made a decree for the rain, and a way for the lightning of the thunder. Then he did see it and declare it. He prepared it, yea, and searched it out. You know what that means? God understands even the weather. How do you weigh wind? I can't even understand that. It's air. How do you weigh that? But God understands even the weather. And if God can understand something as way beyond my understanding and people that are much smarter than me, okay, meteorologists, I don't know what they do, but they're smarter than me, then he can understand my circumstance. And I think that is a very comforting thought. Again, the Apostle Paul will often do this in his writings. He gives you things, you're like, yeah, this is awesome. And then, get ready, because he's going to hit you with the truth. And sometimes it's like getting hit over the head with a two-by-four, right? It's like, ow, Paul, that hurt. So he's setting you up. Okay, I'm just warning you. He's setting you up for what he's going to say in Romans chapter 12. But as we look at our verse, Romans 11, verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. So his understanding is infinite. Okay, in a statement, his understanding is infinite. But God's knowledge. Go to Psalm 147. I think we're already there, but go to Psalm 147. I should have told you to say there. Didn't I? Sorry. Psalm 147, verse number four. My little KK, who's not little, but my KK, one of the things she loves is space. You talk to her about space, and she knows all kinds of things. There was a planet called J1407b, if I remember right. Anybody know what that is? It's called Super Saturn. It's like got more rings than Saturn. It's this awesome planet they found. They don't have a name for it. I say that to say this because in Psalm 147, we find a truth that I think we need to get this morning. Look at, look at what it says. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. We've got a lot of smart people on this earth, people that are much beyond my knowledge. You wonder why I'm bald? It's because of all the traffic, okay? Just, eh, it's a little bald joke. Um, 
We've got a lot of smart people. One thing that they've not been able to find out is how many stars we have. But look at this verse. He telleth the number of the stars, he calleth them all by their names. So my little boy, he's, you know, he's five, he's learning stuff. And he's always like, Daddy, what comes after 99 and 100? And I'm like, well, 101. And then you keep going. Aren't you glad that your God is so beyond your knowledge that not only does he know the number of the stars, he's got a name for every one of them. I met a lot of you, and I can't remember half of your names, okay? Just being honest. But God knows the number of the stars, something we cannot count, and he has a name for each one. You know what that teaches me? Not only is God's wisdom infinite, his knowledge is infinite. God knows way more than you do. In 1 John chapter 3, that's the next passage we're going to go to. I, war- I warned you, okay, no complaining, I warned you. We're going to be all over the place. 1 John chapter 3, we find that not only does God know the number of the stars and their names, but God knows our heart. As you're going, I, I want you to kind of listen, okay? I think we can do both. It is easy to show up to a Sunday morning service and look fancy. All of you look fancy, okay? All of you. If Peter was here, I would say he doesn't, but it's, he's not. I can't pick on anybody else. All of you look fancy. It is easy to put on fancy clothes. It is easy to look nice. It is easy to smile to the guest preacher. It is easy to do those things. But it's a whole lot harder to have a right heart. It's easy to show up to a church on a Sunday morning when there's not 18 feet of snow. But it's a lot harder to have a heart where you're actually ready to worship your God. You can have me fooled, and you can have Pastor Prime fooled, and you can have Pastor Pete fooled, but you have not fooled God. 1 John chapter 3, verses 20 through 23. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments, and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is the commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. You know what He's saying? God knows your heart. We can have a lot of people fooled. You have not fooled God. And we're going to continue to look at this because I think this is something we've got to understand. When it comes to real purposeful surrender, you can come up and you can lay yourself on this table. I don't recommend it. You can lay it here and you can say, okay, God, I am a living sacrifice to you. And you can have everybody in this auditorium fooled. And in your heart, that's the last thing you're actually doing. Again, the Apostle Paul is setting you up. Okay, I'm just telling you the truth. He's setting you up for what he's going to say because we're all like, yeah, God knows. He knows all things. Man, that's great. But wait, just, just wait. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 13. Again, we're talking about God's knowledge. God knows a number of the stars and their names. He knows our heart. You haven't fooled him. Next, he knows our deeds. He knows what you do on the rest of the week. 
knows what you say. He knows what you think about. He knows your life. You have not fooled God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You may hide from everybody else. You're not hiding from God. And I think in many churches, I cannot say this about Lighthouse, but in many churches, the reality is we come in and we're holy on Sunday and the rest of the week we act like devils. The rest of the week we act just like the world and we wonder why we're not making a difference. If you want to make a difference, you have to be different. John eleven thirty five. 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. You know what the distinguishing fact of Lighthouse should be from every other church? Your love. Your love. Your love for each other, your love for the community, your love for whoever God calls here to be your pastor, that should be the distinguishing factor between Lighthouse and everybody else. I think it'd be cool for this church to be completely packed out and be like, we don't know what we're going to do. How is that going to happen? Your love for others. This is so important. Your deeds are naked and open unto God. You have not fooled him. I was talking to Pete and Jessica last night, and I think sometimes, I don't know where I was going with this. Sometimes I think, once again, we... We put on a good act coming into church, but that's all it is. Um, the church I'm at, I told you, I mentioned this to you. There's a, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but there's a Christian school attached with our church back in Clyde. And my challenge with our teens is you go to church, you go to Christian school, you go to youth group, but what about the rest of the week? I know for me in my Christian school, I went to a Christian school and I thought that was enough. I, I go to Bible class every day. I don't need to read the Bible. Uh-oh. Yeah, you do. It's not enough. Sometimes we think that this is enough. It's not. This is a place where you can get encouragement. This is a place where you get recharged. This is a place where you get challenged to grow in your relationship. But this is not where the church ends. Every day we are in the community. Every day we are to make an impact. Let's keep going. We've got a lot to talk about still. Jeremiah 29, 11. This is a great verse, but I'm going to set you up for the context because one of the things we do sometimes is we take verses and rip them out of context and we have no idea what's going on, right? So Jeremiah, anybody know what Jeremiah was known for? Yeah, he was the weeping prophet. Why? Because God's judgment was coming. And he weeped and he cried. Why? Because he knew God's judgment was coming. So Jeremiah 29, 11, again, a verse you probably know. But once we understand that this is the reality that was going on in Jeremiah's day, let's look at verse 11. God speaking, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you unexpected end. God knows his plan for you. That is a comforting thing. It is scary to come to a church and candidate. That's a scary thing. 
because I'm a little weird. You're probably already catching on to that. I'm a little odd. It's a scary thing. But God knows his plan for you, just like how he knew his plan for the nation of Israel. It's a cool thing. Let's continue on. So the first point, well, first point kind of, okay. So why should I surrender God's wisdom and knowledge? We've broken that down. I also want you to understand that God is transcendent. He is above his creation. John, Romans eleven thirty four. I think we're staying there for a little bit now. Yeah, for a little bit. Romans eleven thirty four. God is transcendent, and the first point of God's transcendence is, again, his wisdom. Again, the Apostle Paul is setting you up. And there's a hair on my iPad, and I cannot get it off. Okay, whatever. Um, Romans eleven thirty four. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Do you realize this? God doesn't need your advice. Sometimes when we pray, we're like, God, it'd be great if you did this. God doesn't need your advice. God doesn't need your direction. Hey, God, if you answer the prayer request this way, then you can be glorified by this. God doesn't need your advice. He is transcendent in wisdom. Romans 11.35. Again, in the very next verse. Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto, unto him again. You know what that means? God is not indebted to anybody. He hasn't gone up to Pastor Prime and be like, hey, Pastor Prime, I need five bucks. Can I borrow it from you? He's never done that. He's not indebted to you. We are indebted to him for everything. But he is not indebted to you. God does not need you. He can do his work, okay? In Scripture, one of, the, one of the craziest things is people that are willingly used of God and those that are unwillingly used of God, right? You think of the captivity for the nation of Israel and Judah. God had a plan. Babylon took the nation of Judah. They did not intermingle people. They did not force you to marry other people. Why? So that there could be a Messiah. God knows what he's doing. And even though Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar in those days, at that point was not a great guy, God used him to accomplish his purpose. Now here's the thing. Okay? I would rather be a willing participant of God's work than an unwilling one. Let's continue on. Verse number 36. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. So God is transcendent in wisdom, in giving, and in purpose. Of him. He is the creator. He made you. So he has every right to tell you how to live. Through him. He is a sustainer. Without him, you cannot live. Every breath you take Everybody do this for a second, okay? You breathe in. Maybe hard for Pastor Prime. Okay? Breathe in. Breathe out. That was a gift from God. That's a pretty cool thing. He is a sustainer. And to him, he is the purpose in why we do what we do. If you witness for your glory, what's the purpose in that? That's not why we witness. We witness to bring God glory. We witness to bring people to him. We do this. We attend church. We grow in him. We read God's word. We study it. Why? Because I want to know him 
and I want to grow in him, and I want to bring him glory. That's the purpose. So again, the Apostle Paul is getting you ready. Because that last verse, for of him and through him and to him are all things. Woohoo, right? Yeah, it's great. What's the next verse? Romans 12.1. So we looked at why should I surrender? Now let's look at how should I surrender? How should I surrender? First of all, it begins with a recognition. Okay? Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, right? We've seen why that therefore is therefore now. That was that whole first point. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, we're going to go to a book that you've probably not been in a while, Lamentations, okay? Pastor Prime, have you preached from that recently? It's not a book we go to very often. But again, this is written by Jeremiah. To lament means to weep, okay? So, Lamentations, in the midst of that book, that's about weeping and God's coming judgment. We find this verse in Lamentations, chapter number 3, verse 22. You still hear pages, so I'm going to give you a second. I want you to see this one. This is a good one. Some of you thought you were going to get by without going there, weren't you? I'm not going to find it. We're good. Lamentations, chapter 3, verse number 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. Remember, God's judgment is coming. That is why Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. God's judgment is coming. And he says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Why is it that America still exists with all the wickedness that is going on? Because it is of the Lord's mercies. Why is it that after salvation, the very first time we sinned, God didn't just go... And you're done because of his mercies. So I, I always think of God's grace and God's mercy as two sides of kind of the same coin. God's grace, God giving you that which you don't deserve. God's mercy, God not giving you that which you deserve. Okay? So without God's grace, mercy is meaningless. Okay? Without mercy, God's grace is meaningless. They both work together but from different angles. So God doesn't give us that which we deserve by not consuming us. God's mercy makes it possible for you and I to present our bodies a living sacrifice. So let's look at this living sacrifice. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. I know, you're all getting your finger work out this morning, right? So Luke chapter 9, verse number 23, we're going to look at a living sacrifice. I want you to understand this is a purposeful action. It doesn't happen by accident. For you to be a living sacrifice, for you to lay down your life and say, okay, God, this is what I want. This is what I want you to work through me and in me. And God, I want to do great things for you. It is going to be a purposeful action. Luke chapter 9, verse number 23. Jesus speaking here in Luke chapter 9, he says, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. What's the next word? Daily. And follow me. It is a purposeful action, and it is not a one-time occurrence. 
it is a daily thing. That, that's hard, right? It's hard to be every day, be like, okay, God, I'm going to lay down my, my life, a living sacrifice. It's hard to be Isaac, right, with Abraham and Isaac, when Isaac willingly laid down, you know, his life on that altar. You know, poor Isaac. I just want to say that. You know, as he's climbing up there, hey, Dad, I see all this stuff, and I don't see a lamb. God himself will provide a lamb. And then Dad says, get up there. Oh, I didn't realize I was the lamb. And Isaac is young. His dad is old. He could have taken his dad down, but he didn't. He willingly laid down his life. And I don't see in the text him struggling, him fighting. He lays down willingly, and that's what God expects of you and I. To willingly lay down our life. To willingly pick up your cross and follow him. It's not discipleship. The Christian life is not an easy thing. Don't believe me? Go to Romans chapter 7. We're going to talk about the Apostle Paul. We talked about him this morning. We're going to do it again this morning because I like him. Okay? Romans chapter 7. Go there. Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. I think if the Apostle Paul walked through those doors, we'd all be like, wow, it's the Apostle Paul. He's awesome. But the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, he gives us a glimpse into his struggle in his life. Because this picking up your cross daily and following him, this pursuing God, this laying, your de- laying down your life, a willing sacrifice, a living sacrifice, it is a struggle. Romans 7, verses 18 and 19. Let me say that again. Romans 7, 18 and 19. My voice kind of cracked. Yeah, I know I'm too old for that, but it did. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, well, is no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Aren't you glad for this, these verses? Because you see the Apostle Paul and it's like, I was shipwrecked, I was beaten, I was you know, stoned, all these things. Like, Man, Paul, you're awesome. And here he goes, hey, I struggle. Do you realize Pastor Prime struggles? And Pastor Pete struggles? And I struggle. And we all struggle. You know, you're, you're the pastor. Okay, that doesn't mean all the struggles go away. In fact, oftentimes, there's more. The Apostle Paul goes and says, hey, this is what I see. I see a struggle inside of me, this battle in me, to do that which is right. And that's going to be you. If you're not struggling, you're either not telling the truth or you're like really far away from God. I, I've talked to teens before. Like, I can go an entire day without sinning. I'm like, okay. And what I found is when people say that, they're not really in this book like they should be. Because as I'm in this book, I go, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Oh, boy. Yeah, whatsoever faith is not whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Yeah. To know to do good and not do it is sin. Oh, <laughs> right? We're in trouble. There is a struggle. But Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse number one, it is a reasonable sacrifice. It just makes sense. It is a reasonable service. It just makes sense. Now I'm going to read a couple verses to you because. 
We're running out of time. I went short in Sunday school. Does that buy me a few extra minutes, Pastor Prime? Okay, we're going to go there. Great. He said, sure. We got a witness. Okay. First Peter chapter two. Let's go to first Peter chapter two. Why is it reasonable? Dan, why is it reasonable that I lay down my life a living sacrifice? How is that reasonable? That makes no sense. It makes sense in light of the price that was paid. Understand what I'm saying? It makes sense because of the price that was paid for you. And if you don't know what it is, it's right there. 1 Peter 2.24, I love this verse. Speaking of Jesus, it says this, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Do you realize Jesus, the Son of God, bore your sins on the cross? And what he says is, I want you to lay down your life a living sacrifice. It makes sense because he did that. He did that. Nothing he asks of me, nothing he asks of you will ever compare to the price that he has already paid. Nothing. God becoming flesh, dwelling among us, dying on the cross for us, that makes no sense. Him asking me to be a living sacrifice, that makes all the sense in the world. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Again, verses that I hope are familiar to you. And if you don't have these memorized, I would challenge you to memorize them. I think that is a great spiritual discipline that we often forget to memorize Scripture. It takes work, but it's worth it. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. I'll give you a second here to get there because I want you to see these verses again. And then we're coming back to Romans 12, so just FYI, okay? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. The world says, it's my body, my choice. I want to give you a great Hebrew, Greek word, okay? Greek word, because it's New Testament. Baloney. It's a great Greek word. It's in, it's in there. Baloney. For the Christian especially, God could not be clearer than he is right here. You are not your own. You've been purchased with a price. God has every right to tell you how to live. Well, Dan, the world says this. So? God says that. You need to do that. Well, that's not what the world does. So what? God has every right to tell his purchased redemption how to live. And I know that's not what we want to hear, but that's Bible. God has every right to tell you what is right and what is wrong. There is truth, and it is found in his word. If you don't know what truth is, John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to know truth? It's found in Jesus Christ and his word. It's not that hard. The world says you can't know truth. Again, great Greek word, baloney. You can, 
is found in the Word of God, whether you want to look it up or not, that is the struggle. So finally, as well, kind of, finally-ish, finally adjacent, we'll call it that. Romans 12, 2. We cannot look at Romans 12, 1 and go, okay, God expects us to be a living sacrifice without looking at what God expects of you. So here's a transformation in Romans 12. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the word conformed there, it carries the idea of being pressed into a mold. My, my boy has had Play-Doh, but it always like leaves the lid off, so it becomes like hard as a rock. So you could use the illustration of Play-Doh being pressed into a mold. That is what the world wants to do to you. There is pressure. There are things going on that's trying to force you into that mold right? The mold that they want to make. And it's interesting because their mold keeps on changing, okay? But they press you into that mold. The word transformed, it carries a very different idea. It is the word metamorphosis. It is a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. Aren't you thankful that in the process of metamorphosis, it's not like these huge caterpillars all of a sudden have wings? That would be terrifying, wouldn't it? Seem kind of flying around, and it's like, ah, what's going on? But they completely change. Their body changes. Their everything changes. That's what God wants to do in your life. The world wants to conform you. God wants to completely change you by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? Through God's word. That's how it happens. Renewing of your mind happens through Scripture. I'm going to read this verse to you. If you want to write it down, it's Psalm 119, verse number 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? And that's not just true for young people. That is true for the not young people. I'm not going to say old people. I'm going to say young, not young people, okay? That is true for you too. It is found in the word of God. How can you cleanse your way? How can you live right? It is the word of God. So important. Finally, finally this morning, and I know you're happy. Finally this morning, Romans 12, verse number 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. I want to add this part in. We could have ended it with verse number 2. But there is a disposition that God wants us to have. How we are to present ourselves Number one, humble. Humble. Remember, you didn't earn anything. You didn't earn salvation. It was a free gift. You didn't earn it. You're nothing. Okay? It's just the truth. Remember, any success that you have had is because of your Savior's work in you. You're growing in Christ. You are involved in this church. You're doing something great for God. Any success you have is because of your Savior's work in you. It is not you. Secondly, in this, in this verse, verse number three, we are to think soberly of a sound mind. This is setting us up for tonight. Because tonight, we're going to not just talk about purposeful surrender, we're going to talk about finding your fit in this assembly and filling it. And I think that is a great thing in a church. Every church needs to know this. God has gifted Christians for the body. 
He has gifted you to be here at Lighthouse and to be involved in the work that God is doing here in Schenectady. And I want, you, I want to remind you of this truth that God is still working in hearts. Aren't you thankful for that? I've been, I've been stalking you, I guess is a bad way to say it, but I've been following like, you know, Facebook and, you know, um, YouTube and other things, watching sermons. And it's been cool to hear that people are getting saved in Schenectady, Ohio. In Schenectady, Ohio, New York, Ohio, come on, New York. It's cool to hear. God is still working in hearts. Don't be discouraged. God is still working. And the amazing thing is he wants to use you. So here's what we're going to do. It's 12.05. That is the latest time that Peter said I could preach. So we did it. Here's what I want us to do. I want every person to stand, and we're going to have a time of invitation. I want you today to say, okay, God, I'm willing to surrender. Not because I'm God's gift to this place. Because God, it just makes sense. Everybody stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to step out of the way, let Pastor Prime handle the, handle the invitation this morning. I want you to do business with God and say, God, use me in a special way. Let's pray. We'll have our time of invitation. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to surrender to you. I thank you, Lord, that you are willing to use people like us in your kingdom. But I ask that each of us today, Lord, would examine our hearts and will come to a place that is a real purposeful surrender so we can do a great thing for you. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done. Lord, help this time of invitation. Lord, help people to really make decisions. We pray this all in the wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.